Welcome to the Security Weekly News wrap-up show for the week of 7 March 2021. Studmaster, McAfee, Zio, Miner, Exchange, Linux, and bad cameras. All this and show topics. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the attackers that put our critical systems in jeopardy. Core Impact from Core Security is a penetration testing tool that safely finds vulnerabilities using the same techniques of adversaries. With certified exploits and wizards that guide you through critical pen tests while maximizing the time of advanced testers by automating their routines. With Core Security, you can safeguard your infrastructure by limiting access, detecting threats, testing for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitoring data. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security all right episode 106 of security weekly news wrap up so how about that all right show topics from this week on application security weekly number 142 john and mike had cynthia burke the compliance manager at capsulate on to talk about privacy and data security compliance I uh, saw several articles this week about compliance and compliance being the sort of essence of, of cybersecurity. So definitely worth checking that out. Uh, in particular, they were talking about how these things are often combined and confused and misunderstood and all get kind of put under this same little umbrella of, uh, you know, of things. The second segment uh, is the news. On Enterprise Security Weekly 219, Adrian, Paul, and Tyler Shields had on Chris Cleveland, the CEO of Pixum. Uh, the segment was a discussion of how computer vision, so that's like AI vision, can actually help prevent malicious URLs and websites. It was a very, very interesting. Anytime I see, you know, AI stuff and vision stuff, I, I always think this is quite interesting. So check that one out. In the second segment, Jeff Foley, project leader at OWASP, joined the crew to talk about the OWASP AMAS project and a tool that they have developed to help perform network mapping of attack surfaces and external asset discovery. One of the things that is so difficult for people to do. So they, everybody thinks that's easy, and you always ask people, do you have this? And they always say yes. But then when you ask them to show it to you, they always kind of, you know, well, maybe, you know, yeah. And, and, and it turns out it, the, the last network diagram they have was made by a guy named Sid in 1987. But anyway, the tool that uh, uh, OWASP has developed uses open source information gathering and active recon to collect all this information about both your internal and external uh, so definitely something a lot of people have been talking about lately. And as we've seen all these attacks, we've seen solar winds, we've seen exchange, all these kind of uh, s sort of nasty attacks developing. Uh, understanding your infrastructure is more important than ever. In the third segment, uh, they had the news. On Business Security Weekly number 208, Paul, Jason, and Matt had Gerald Buchelt, uh, the CISO at Sprinkler. Gerald was on to talk about his job transition from being the CISO at Log Me In to, to being the CISO at Sprinkler uh, during the middle of the pandemic. So uh, a lot of people have changed jobs or lost their jobs uh, during that. Uh, so trying to change, my wife's been looking, she's a CPA, she's been looking for a job. 
And, um, you know, that's been a challenge uh, with the pandemic, even if it's just at a basic level from like, how do you interview to, you know, how do you interact and decide if you want a job? Because it's like, I've, you know, I'm going to take a job at a place I've never seen. Not that I've never ever. I mean, I have done that. Uh, in the second segment, three timeless approaches to reduce security risk in 2021. Why less can be more when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, CISO job search, what to look for and look out for and more on that uh, news segment. On Security and Compliance Weekly number 6-4, Jeff, Josh, and Scott were joined by Jim Gilson, the Principal Industrial Consultant at Dragos. Jim was on to talk about ICS and OT. Uh, always gets my attention. Uh, but in particular, they were talking about how cybersecurity risks in those areas vary a lot, depending on how regulation has been applied. So a lot of ICS stuff does have regulations around it, whether it's power generation or anything like that. So a lot of, uh, and, and it sounds like maybe, you know, regulation has some kind of impact on it. Is it good or is it bad? Uh, check out that debate. And in the second segment, Jim uh, pretty much continued this discussion because, you know, it's Security and Compliance Weekly. They, they can't do anything in 30 minutes. It's like, come on. And it's a pretty big topic, right? On Security Weekly News number 105, the amazing Aaron Leyland joined me once again to talk about uh, supply chain attacks. And Aaron's always very thorough, and he had a lot of insight into all these issues around the type of attacks. And, and we, we did talk about how some of those type of attacks are going to continue and so forth uh, on there. On Paul Security Weekly number 686, last night in the first segment david hatu the chief research officer at flare systems was on to talk about the structure size and scope of illicit markets so quite a quite an interesting uh, uh discussion there and he did talk about how those markets are very fragmented i mean they're you know they're they're dark marketplaces a la temple street or something in hong kong and you know i mean if, if you think about that that's kind of what the dark web and all these illicit markets are like is like something like temple street or you pick your favorite you know street side market that you I, I temple street's a classic but um you know and, and he had a lot of insight into that kind of stuff about dark web and 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 uh those, those sorts of things in the second segment the security news and in the third segment of a pre-recorded segment with asaf dahan the senior director and head of threat research at cyber reason and he was on with Lee and Paul. They had to record that earlier. Uh, and they were talking about current trends in ransomware research. So that's a lot of insight uh, in, into what is, you know, that and credential stuffing. And, of course, credential stuffing is always the lead-in to ransomware anymore. And that's just one of the most pernicious cybersecurity problems we have is ransomware. Um, so, you know, check all those out. My favorite threat of the week is going to be surveillance redux. So last week, I was talking about surveillance and privacy uh, that was based on an article about Talon and uh, Flock, which is two big camera systems that have been rolled out to law enforcement people, uh, again, with all these promises of this is secure from the ground up, it's secure from the top down, it's secure from the middle out, however you want to describe it. 
Uh, but this week, so shifting away from that, the big story this week was about Verkata. So Verkata is a company that that has has really targeted, you know, uh, not necessarily so much individuals, but people with security cameras. So they're a big a big mover in that space of replacing your old traditional stuff. So the old way to do security cameras was closed circuit television with VCR recorders and tape rotations, and all that moved into sort of server side in the last ten years. But Verkata has been trying to move all that into the cloud. So they're a huge. Uh, a huge provider of streaming camera services that are then stored in the cloud. And again, one of their big taglines is that, you know, that their cameras secure from, you know, from the, the lens up. Well, pretty much the usual happened. Uh, Ricotta, who did heavily downplay the impact of this attack, got credential stuffed. And so it wasn't the camera that was at fault. It wasn't the server that was at fault. It was the fact that they got credential stuffed. And what did they get credential stuffed with? A high-level administrative account. So, you know, like root or something. And basically, if somebody gets root access or at least high-level access, domain admin or whatever, I don't. it didn't say exactly what, what it was or what kind of server it was. But it basically allowed the hacker, or I'm starting to call them stuffers, because they're not really hackers, right? I mean, you're not really hacking anything if you just have a credential and you log in. I mean, that's not a hack. That's just stuffing. So the stuffers had pretty much access to everything at Verkata once they were able to log in with this high-level admin account. And so they could see all the active streams and so forth. Now, being hacker mindset type people, they did access it all. So the initial breach that happened resulted in screenshots and, and stream captures from over 149,000. And I've actually seen more that it was, it was actually more than that. But they actually had uh, over 149,000 different cameras around the world that were cur currently streaming to Verkata's cloud. And they were releasing screenshots of classrooms, of hospital beds, of gyms. I think they had one from a police station, elevators, all kinds of stuff. And the breach also resulted then in a list of all the clients being dumped into the, onto the Internet. So they took all of Verkata's client list and they put it out on the Internet. Verkata said it was resolved. I guess they changed the password. Uh, but it really, once again, reveals that sort of problem uh, with cameras. It, it also reveals the credential stuffing problem. Because, you know, if they change that root account to another password that they use on all their systems, mm, same problem. But we love self-surveillance. I mean, we really do. I mean, the whole idea of selfie culture, uh, we snap pictures of ourselves at, you know, the Grand Canyon or in, on Temple Street or whatever. And all of that is part of that surveillance. And I think it's it sort of made us less uh, concerned about surveillance because we're used to taking pictures of ourselves, taking pictures of what we're having for dinner and all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, surveillance in general. Um, I mean, how, how many times, late, I mean, I just this morning, I flipped up a traffic cam in Colorado because I wanted to see if it was snowing yet. Um, if you missed me talking about Kohlbergian pre-conventionalists last week, well, you, you can go watch that on the site. Um, but we do love it. I mean, and it does kind of work against Kohlbergian pre-conventionalists. And it's not always about security, though. Uh, some people just love to have cameras on their property so they can see the dingoes creeping in to steal their babies or whatever. Um, some people put up bird feeder cams, and I've seen one that's got like a, like a honey badger or something on it. Uh, spiders, on and on and on. 
And all these cameras even can be used to talk to your pets. I, I saw one of those so you could actually, you know, interact with your pets while you're away or make sure that water's not leaking into your sailboat. I had one of those, so I actually had a camera pointed at, uh, at my sailboat uh, where there was a leak on the deck so I could see how bad it was and if I needed to go down there. Um, and, the ca and these cams have gotten so cheap, uh, and, and the storage is so cheap, so why not use the cloud to do whatever you want to surveil and then make it so that you can access it via cell phone from anywhere in the world? I mean, answering your front doorbell in Rhode Island from China is pretty cool. It, it freaked the UPS guy out a little bit. He was like, could you come down? I was like, not exactly. I'm on a train in China. And he was like, oh. Uh, but we now have cams in schools, gyms, banks, Wawa's. That's a mini mart for everybody who's not from New York or New Jersey. Uh, we have dashboard cams. We've got GoPros on our ski helmets. We've got GoPros on our boats. We've got everything everywhere. And pretty soon, probably, you're going to be wearing glasses that have cams on them. I mean, that's been tried, but it didn't work before. But I, I think we're getting there. And it's all going to be streaming up to the cloud. So like I said last week, we're moving into this total surveillance society, whether we like it or not. I... I I, you know, and we could debate all this about privacy being good or bad or how much more we need or all the, all the threats to privacy and what that does. Um, and we're going to also have to talk about cross-property rights or whatever the appropriate legal term is. I mean, what if my neighbor puts up a cam on his roof and, he, that, you know, and, and in the background of his camera shot on his driveway, you could see in the windows of my house. And, you know, and that's being streamed into the cloud. I mean, he didn't mean to do anything bad. He just put up a cam because he wanted to see if somebody was in his driveway. Now somebody can actually, you know, cross-reference that and see my house and what I'm doing, and I didn't even know the cam was up there. Um, you know, I've seen those. I've seen, you know, people whose neighbors are sunbathers and things like that. And, you know, so you got all that kind of, I mean, it's old New York thing. You know, remember in the old days, people in New York put uh, had telescopes in their apartments so they could look at their neighbors. And I mean, there was a whole, you know, there's a Hitchcock movie, right? Called Rear Window about this guy who likes to look at his neighbor's windows, which is like mm, a little creepy, but okay. Um, but anyway, I, you know, can my bird feeder cam see what you're doing in your backyard? And is somebody interested in that? Uh, but anyway, breaches aside, a lot of these things are, are just open to anyone to view on the internet. People put up live cams. Um, I did see a cam on a sailboat mast that was probably available to just about everyone in the area if you knew how to access it. Uh, and it was it was also in the background of that, and I did access it. And you could see the neighborhood beach. You could see a bunch of houses and their like decks and who was out there. Very interesting stuff. So there's a lot of privacy concerns, but there's also concerns about people seeing law enforcement arriving. So there was this whole controversy about does your ring doorbell create a threat to law enforcement because now people can see that, you know, they're coming to serve a warrant. So, you know, that kind of stuff. And there was also concerns that law enforcement was accessing these feeds and using that for facial recognition, for monitoring people, and so forth. I mean, I don't think the Verkata hack... Uh, which I put in quotation marks for the people that are listening on audio because it's not, again, I said this before, it's not really a hack, uh, is anything new to any of us, but I think we're going to have to all sit down at some point and start trying to decide what is okay and how do we manage that. I know, privacy, 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 but I don't know that you're going to stop this proliferation of dash cams, phone cams, Google Glass, and just plain old security cams streaming to the cloud just by saying, I value my privacy. 
It's not that I don't see the point of privacy. I'm just not so sure we can stop it, even if at this point we decide that we really, really want to. So we better start getting a handle on it or invent invisibility cloaks or something, or we're going to all be surveilled 24-7. Same story as last week, Microsoft Exchange. But according to this story, at least 10 nation-state-backed APTs are now targeting Exchange actively. Uh, This all started when multiple flaws in Exchange were found, and Microsoft said that they were being used in the wild. Uh, That was back in March. Uh, The attacks had actually been documented as far back as January, uh, and, and very quickly, of course, this escalated into, well, pretty much all, you know, maybe as early as September 2020 or earlier, these exploits were being taken advantage of. And the main group named Hafnium, uh, which is attributed to China, is an APT that seemed to be the source, according to Microsoft. Microsoft said that initially the attacks were limited and very targeted, but uh, that was what they were saying last week. But now it appears it's getting out of hand a little bit. ESET confirmed yesterday that it had identified at least 10 APTs which were targeting exchange. Everybody, including Big Daddy 420, jumped on board the attack bus when they saw how to do this and what was available. So Microsoft has now released out-of-band patches, and if you have not implemented them, well, likely someone is targeting you or they've already compromised you. So CISA basically said, if you have not patched this, and this was like last week, you probably have been targeted with this. And if you aren't sure how this works, well, they can basically install uh, backdoor Trojans, which is what they were doing. So they use the exploit, get in, install Trojans, and then they get out. And then they use the Trojan to come back in and install other stuff and take advantage of your whole network. So everybody's rushing to get some kind of backdoor installed on your Exchange server before you patch it so that when you do, well, they can still get in. So you may need to do some serious threat hunting and monitor all inbounds and outbounds for a while to ensure that you haven't been compromised uh, it, with your exchange server or that they laterally move to some other device in your domain that was trusting that exchange server and install backdoors or who knows what else. Very terrifying if you read it. In the same light, an independent researcher, Nguyen Yang, Jiang, uh, published a tool to hack the exchange bugs on GitHub, and he said it was a proof of concept. Uh, Microsoft yanked the code after about an hour uh, but, you know, it was there for an hour or so. So, you know, good luck with that one. So if you're interested in that, I'm sure it's available somewhere. They said it was it was it only needed a slight modification and it would work just fine. Linux users often feel safer from malware than other users because of, well, you know, security through obscurity. Right. And you know, we all know that doesn't work very well. But historically, there has been less malware targeting Linux, it seems, despite the number of servers that run that platform and the number of systems that use it as a back end. Well, Red XOR is a new malware family that targets Linux. Uh, the name comes from the XOR encryption that is used to encode the data streams from this, uh, from, uh, from this malware. Uh, the malware is likely placed using, wait for it, advanced hacking techniques or, you got it, credential stuffing or other simple attack vectors. So, you know, hey, install this. I got one of these calls today that said my Amazon account was compromised. If I just push one, they would help me get it all reset. Uh, but basically, it creates a hidden folder, which is called, uh, and I, you can, it's called like .po1kitd.thumb, which would look like a partial downloader of a thumbnail. 
Um, it's put inside your home directory, and then it loads some more files. They're all listed in this article if you want to check it out. And it does include a binary. Once it starts running, it phones home using TCP to the command and control server address that's hard-coded in the binary, and then it can pull down instructions to execute locally. Uh, it can manipulate files, it can exfiltrate files, and it can run shell code, and, and it also can write to the drive. So basically, it's, it's like Emotet or TrickBot, uh, you know, but it's for Linux, so cool. Um, remember those slipstreaming NAT attacks last year? Well, guess what? They're still with us. If you don't recall, uh, this, uh, these slipstreaming NAT attacks were basically a way for an attacker to capture information from you when you go to a website. So you go to their, you know, they, they get you to click a link and go to a website, which seems otherwise harmless, and the server can then exploit JavaScript to actually build a connection back to your desktop. And we, and if you recall, they actually expanded those attacks later so they could actually connect to other NAT. Uh, and this is, of course, port address translation, PAT. So those other PAT devices in your network. And of course, once again, security through obscurity was an idea that people kept espousing, you know, that that was one of the big advantages of using NAT was that people couldn't see your network. They couldn't enumerate your network, but guess what? Yeah, they can't. Uh, anyway, uh, so this article is about that Google uh, has now blocked, once again, TCP port 554 in Chrome uh, to try to help prevent these attacks. So this is one of the ports they were using. Basically, you know, you still have to click a link, and that allows that attack server to create the connection to that alternate port. Uh, and, of course, uh, we all know that other ports can be used and shifted to, but 554 was the latest popular one. So this starts to turn into a game of whack-a-mole pretty quick. Uh, as the ports keep shifting around. Last year, Google blocked 554, but apparently it was being used by a lot of legitimate things, and so they subsequently unblocked it after complaints. Uh, they already block a lot of other ports, like 69, 137, 161, 1719, 1720, 1723, 6566, as well as 5060 and 5061, which were the original slipstreaming ports. Only 65,524 ports to go. Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, you know, zero port trust is a good thing in my opinion, but it's likely just going to keep shifting. I'm not sure why it wasn't randomized, but you know, hey, I didn't, it's not my, my code. Zeo Miner is a malicious miner that first was first found last year and is apparently spreading quickly according to this report. Uh, NetLab, who wrote the report, used a honeypot uh, that they use, I guess, to, to look for malware uh, and they capture evidence. This is a malware miner, and it was spreading using Elasticsearch and Jenkins. Uh, to, to, and it ha both of those products have remote code execution vulnerabilities in them. Now, get this. The CVE on Elasticsearch and Jenkins are from 2015. So, you know, if, you know here's another one of these patch warfare kind of problems. Uh, you know, both of them are so old that you would think people would have patched their, their, you know, their Elasticsearch or whatever, but they don't. So basically what this thing does, is it pushes a miner on, sets it up in cron, and then Bob's your uncle and you're illegally mining crypto off somebody else's machine. But it really just shocks me how far out of patch compliance so many systems are in the world. I know it's hard to patch and I know it's hard to commit to the patch, but we got to do better. I mean, it would be nice if the holes weren't there in the first place, but we all know that is not going to stop. I mean, that genie is out of the genie bottle. So work on your patching and try to get a handle on this. Robert Pureback 
I'm an Idaho man, so this is going to be like Florida man. Sorry, sorry, uh, Lee and Tyler, but uh, our, who's from Idaho? He uses the handles LifeLock and Studmaster. Uh, you got to like that. I actually grabbed the story because of, that he was using the name Studmaster online. Um, he was indicted in Georgia. Uh, in the United States, and he was charged with computer fraud, access device fraud, and that old favorite, wire fraud. Um, basically, he bought usernames and passwords to, to servers in Georgia, particularly healthcare servers and, and, and government servers, and then he used those uh, names and passwords to steal a whole bunch of information. He allegedly stole medical records and other personal information to more than 43,000 people at one clinic. 7,000 at another, 14,000 more at another one. And then he also, and they, they, the story says he hacked. But again, I tell you, that's not what I want to call buying usernames and passwords. I'm, I'm going to call them stuffers. So Robert stuffed additional machines, including a Florida orthodontist and others. Now, his stuffing attacks actually provided him with materials that he was then trying to sell, as well as a bunch of personal information about the orthodontist child. And he had contacted the orthodontist and told him unless he was paid a bunch of Bitcoin, he was actually going to release this information you know, on the dark web and so forth. So basically, the whole thing is a digital equivalent of trying to rob a convenience store in Destin, Florida. But the interesting thing to me is that it is an interstate crime that is we're starting to see prosecution and possibly extradition maybe from Idaho to to Georgia. I, I don't know. Uh, but Studmaster, you know, he did get arrested in Boise. He's charged with a crime in Georgia, United States. So things are starting to change a little bit because used to you didn't get very far with those kind of, you know, when you complained in Georgia about a crime that was committed in Boise, you're not going to get very far. But suddenly you're seeing indictments being issued and so forth. And finally, our old friend John McAfee was indicted again, uh, this time on a seven-count charge against him and Jimmy Watson in the Southern District of New York. These, these two are like Bonnie and Clyde if you read all these indictments. Um, McAfee's already in jail in Spain. Uh, on a U.S. tax evasion charge, and he and he he's trying to fight extradition from there to the United States. He's also under investigation in Belize. I mean, how how the hell do you get in trouble in Belize? I mean, it's like this relaxing, cool place. But apparently, I guess if you murder someone, your neighbor, that's pretty much a bad thing everywhere. The murder allegedly happened in 2012, but the new charges relate to pump and dump schemes. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's where you find some really low price stock that costs like two cents a share you put out a bunch of information about it and get people to buy into it and then you sell yours before they catch on that it's really worthless uh he also had a bunch of uh, icos which is an initial coin offering schemes that apparently were i don't know scams um he's being charged with securities fraud and then of course the usual lineup of every other kind of fraud and things underneath there mcafee mcafee was are also indicted on tax evasion charges in october of last year with a whole another whole stack of crime and, and, and the cha charges on that one were money laundering wire fraud all this all the classics so mcafee last tweeted on the 27th of february with a request for a u.s attorney with experience in extradition law and cryptocurrency got pain get wayne or pick one of those slogans from one of those so you know those those billboards you see down by the strip club but uh, i I, th I thought mcafee was living on a pirate ship or something at one point in time but i guess now he's in jail in spain anyway that's the news wrap-up for the week of 7 march 2021 in the time of plague please get your shots when you can get all of them and please can i get one i really i, I really want one i, I do i want a shot now